0: Take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Our text this morning, the first seven verses of the chapter, as we continue to listen to this preacher, the preacher of Ecclesiastes, who is trying to teach us what true wisdom looks like. True wisdom focuses on seeing the world as it actually is, not not the world as we wish it would be. Folly is to is to pretend the world is something different than it is. The preacher is trying to pull back the curtain, as it were, so that we might see more clearly the world as it actually is, and especially the world that, that God makes here in his house. How is it that we should conduct ourselves when we come to the house of God? That's what The preacher's going to talk about. There's a wise way of doing that and a foolish way of doing that. But in order to hear what the preacher has to say to us this morning, in order for us to listen, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come desiring to hear once again the, the, the voice of God in Holy Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, that you would open our eyes of faith, that we would see glorious riches. In this portion of your gospel, above all, Lord, give us ears to hear, to listen to the word that you speak to us this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God, to draw near to listen Do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's been several years ago now, but there was a very popular series of Christian videos on YouTube uh, that were all titled, Me Church. The first one was simply called Me Church, and then there was a series that belonged uh, or followed after that. And the original Me Church video opened with the requisite deep-throated announcer intoning, imagine a church where everyone is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. And from there, various people came on the video to say what what they would want in a church. There was a lady who had a, a busy work week, and she said, I want a church that starts when I get there. No problem, the voice says. When you arrive, we begin. Or the couple who didn't give anything to the church, but demanded to know what everyone else gave to the church. All right, if you join now, the voice said, you'll know exactly what everyone gives in detail. There was a lady on there who, who wanted the deacons to, to wash and wax and, and buffer car her during the worship service. Not only that, but an oil change and a tune up too. And then the guy who demanded Super Bowl tickets to join the church. And after being told by the voice that was too much, finally the voice says, All right, you join now and we'll get you there. And the voice summed it all up with the tagline Me, church where it's all about you. Well, what about you? Why do you go to church? Do you come to God's house because that's where you you come to meet with the living God? Or do you come to God's house because it's all about you? You see, the preacher in our passage this morning is actually getting right at that question. He's contrasting a way of wisdom with the way of folly, and particularly when it comes to entering into God's presence. There are foolish ways and wise ways to come into God's presence, of of coming into God's house. This, This passage, in many ways, is connected to what's gone before and what's going to come after what's gone before in chapter 4 verses 7 to 16 which we looked at last time what comes after chapter 5 verse 8 that extends all the way to chapter 6 verse 9 we'll look at that next time both of those sections have to do with worship whether we recognize it or not worship of power and possessions of greed and wealth there's a kind of, of worship of, of mammon and all of its manifestations. And in, con- in contrast to the, the foolish ways we worship money and all it can do, the preacher comes in this section to speak to us about what it is to worship God. But even in telling us what it looks like to worship God, he, he wants to make sure that when we come to God's house that we recognize that our, our worship and our lives are not all about us. Our worship is not about making a better us so that we live our best lives now. That's not what worship is about. That's not what life is about. Rather, the preacher tells us our worship's all about God. And in fact, our lives are all about God. That's why he tells us in the very first verse, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, if it is the case that our worship is all about God, so that our lives would be all about God and not about us, then the question that should occur to us that naturally follows is this. What should we do? What should we do to carry out this admonition to guard our steps? What should you do to guard your steps when you come to the house of God? Well, the preacher tells us here three things in particular. There's all kinds of advice that we might give or get about how to worship. You can go on the internet or listen to your favorite podcast. There's certainly advice. The preacher sweeps all that aside. He he says no, there are three things that you really need to pay attention to when you come to God's house. And the first is this. Listen. Listen. First. Look again at verse 1. That's what he says. He's he says, "Guard your steps when you go to the house of God." To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So often what we want to do is to talk. After all, our world is filled with talking. So much talking. Talk radio, news talk, sports talk, Christian talk podcast upon podcast. Everybody has a podcast. Talk, talk, talk. But the preacher tells us that there's real profit, real advantage, not in talking, but in drawing near to listen. And the reason it makes sense for us when we come to God's house to draw near to listen is that someone more important than us is speaking. God is. God is the one who is declaring his word to you. And when God speaks, he wants us to listen. God over again in his word tells us that. In the great Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, which the Jews recited day after day, it begins listen, hear, O Israel, listen. The God, the Lord your God, the, the Lord is one. The psalmist in Psalm 46, he says, be still be quiet and know that the Lord is God. I will be exalted in among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The father at the Mount of Transfiguration, in response to Peter's talking, says, this is my beloved son and with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Which means the most important thing we can do when we come to God's house, when we come to into God's presence is to listen, is to listen to God as he speaks his word to our hearts and lives. How does God do this? Well, he does that throughout the service. From the first word, which in the call to worship, which is God's word, to the last word, which is the benediction, also scripture. God is speaking his word throughout the service, but preeminently in the reading and preaching of holy scripture, that's particularly when God's word is being declared to you. That's particularly where we have to have our ears attuned to listen, which means then what you need in corporate worship and and indeed what you need for your life is, is God's word. And you need to be in a church where God's word is faithfully explained and faithfully applied. Doesn't skip over things that are hard or difficult, but is willing to explain and apply. This is what the Bible says, If the Lord ever leads you away from Memphis, the very first thing you should do is to find a church, God's house, where God's word is faithfully explained and faithfully applied. But listen, it also means not only do we hear God's word, but we're determined to do it. Determined to obey what God's word tells us. Because, of course, the most important thing about our lives isn't what we say, it's what we listen to. And it's what we do. The contrast that the preacher has for us here is someone who simply talks about the truth but never listens to God's truth, never does it. The preacher says, such is a sacrifice of fools for they don't know they're doing evil. They don't even know that simply talking and not doing, not listening, is just evil. They're so inured, they're so used to talking all the time talking about God and talking about this and talking about that. They don't even recognize that failing to listen to God's word and obey it is an evil. I may have mentioned this before, but one of the most frightening characters in all of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is, at least to me, is the character talkative. Faithful and Christian as they're making their way to the celestial city, they come across this talkative and Faithful at first thinks this this is a true Christian because of his talk. talk. Talkative is more than willing to talk about all kinds of things, theological or not. He says, let's talk about what you will. I will talk of things heavenly or things earthly, things moral or things evangelical, things sacred or things profane, things past or things to come, things foreign or things at home, things more essential, things circumstantial, provided it's all done to our profit." But once he's pressed on, do you actually live out what you talk about? Are you willing to listen to God's word? Suddenly, talkative doesn't want to talk anymore. He doesn't want to deal with his heart, doesn't want to deal with his sin, doesn't want to deal with his life. He simply wants to talk. The preacher here says the way of talkative is the way of the fool. The wise way to come into God's house is to listen first. Then secondly, to let your words be few. That's what he says in verse 2. You see it there. The preacher says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. The so language here picks, picks up someone who is not really in control of himself or his mind. He, he sins without thought and speech just pours out of his mouth you know, just because that's, that's all there is. He doesn't have any reality in his heart. He simply has words, like, like talkative from Bunyan's story. A heart that, that's far from God will try to cover that distance with God talk, with religious jargon. Listen, I've seen that over and again in my ministry over and again when people get sideways when they get themselves in moral messes that they realize they cannot extricate themselves out of inevitably they'll they'll come and meet with me or they'll come and meet with one of the other pastors and and they fill their talk with god talk and sometimes they bring the biggest bible they can bring it's 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 almost like a general rule the bigger the mass the bigger the bible they bring to the meeting with the pastor You can tell they haven't pulled that big Bible off the shelf recently to look at it. And what are they doing? Well, they think that their God talk and their big Bible is somehow a way of closing the gap between who God is and where they're at. Many words, they think, and the biggest Bible that has God's words, that that's the way to close the gap. But Jesus says that's actually the way of the hypocrite. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. You see, the, the problem with God talk, with many religious sounding words, is they're actually masking a heart that's far from God. That's the problem. God doesn't want your religious words. He wants you. He wants the real you to draw near to the real God. That's what he wants. But, but for you, you, you might find that the most frightening thing possible. To, to have the real you, with all of your mess, the, the quandary that you find yourself in, where things have gotten sideways, to bring the real you before the real God, who already knows you anyway, knows everything about you. But to bring the real you before the real God, that seems to be frightening. And so instead, it's easier simply to use a bunch of words. Religious sounding words and religious kind of promises even of, of, of flying right and doing better. I'm going to be better this time. I'm, going to, I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to change my ways in this way. God wants you. He wants you. When you come to God's house, what the preacher is trying to tell you is listen first. God is speaking to you. Maybe he's speaking to you right now. Listen first. Let your words be few. But third, do what you promise. Do what you promise. The preacher goes on in verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow it is better that you should not vow than that you should not vow that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not say before the messenger, Oh, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Now, in the context of Ecclesiastes, these religious vows were acts of piety promised in response to a particular deliverance. And so you know, Old Testament saint, someone wrestles in prayer over a particular situation, they might have said, Lord, if you do it so and so, I, I will vow to offer a particular sacrifice to you, a, a praise offering perhaps, a wave offering, some kind of sacrifice that I, I might give in response to you answering my prayer. What the preacher is telling us is that God takes such vows seriously. He takes such vows seriously. When we make promises in the context of corporate worship, when we make vows in the context of corporate worship, God notices and he expects us to do what we've promised. And if we don't do what we've promised, it could bring us under his judgment. The great story of that is in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You know that story, Ananias had apparently pledged that when his property sold, he would bring the entire sale's proceeds and present it to God through the church. But then after the sale, he decides to bring only a portion, and yet he continues to claim that he has brought the entire thing. When he comes into God's presence, what does Peter say? Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men. But to God, and what happens to Ananias? He falls down dead. He dies because he has lied to God. He didn't do what he promised. And it gets worse because his wife Sapphira comes in. And Peter asks her directly, did you promise such and such a price? Did you actually do it? She lies just like her husband. And she too drops down dead. It teaches us that God takes our vows seriously. When we come to his house, we must guard our steps by doing what we promise. Listen, there are all sorts of vows that we take in the context of of worship. Many of you here have taken vows in the context of a wedding service, which at IPC is a worship service. And you make vows to have and to hold this one, forsaking all others till death do us part. That is a vow that God takes incredibly seriously. You make that promise to God, before these witnesses, that this is what you're going to do. Do what you promise. When we have a baptism, we as a congregation, we take a vow to assist these parents in in their duties of Christian nurture and admonition, and we hold up our hands, or we say we do. That's a vow taken in the context of corporate worship. God takes that vow seriously. So that when there's opportunity to, to come alongside these parents in a variety of ways, are we going to keep the promise or not? To join this church, we take vows. You meet with a pastor. Everyone who here is a communicant member, you've met with a pastor. They've heard your profession of faith, but they've also asked you the membership vows. And you sign the card to say that, yes, you affirm those vows. And among those vows, you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability. That's one of the vows you take. When you support the church in its, in its worship, that means that you, 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 you show up to the best of your ability, not when it's convenient. That supporting the church in its worship means participating, being here, but also supporting the church in its work to the best of your ability means using your time and talents here. When there's opportunity to volunteer and opportunity to serve, you don't say, well, oh, somebody else will fill that gap. No, you say, Lord, is that me? Is that something I should do? And you support the church in his work to the best of your ability. It also means financially supporting the church to the best of your ability, not throwing in a 20 here or a 20 there, but looking seriously at your money, which is in fact God's money. You're simply the steward of it. And saying, how might I support the church that I, in a way that I vowed to do in the, the best of my ability? That might look like 10%. It like, might look like more. But listen, we've taken vows in all sorts of different ways. And God takes those vows seriously. That's why the preacher here tells us to guard our steps. To guard our steps. To listen first and to let, to let our words be few. And to do our to do what we promised. But but why? He's told us these things to do, but why should we guard our steps? Well, the reason why you should guard your steps is because worship's not about you. Being part of God's people, God's house, ultimately is not about you. It's about about God. And because we have to do with God, we must be careful because God's not like us. Rather, we must reckon with with God's holiness. The preacher says in verse 2 that that God is a holy God in the heavens. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Who is this God with whom we have to do? Well, the preacher tells us he's the God of heaven. He's utterly transcendent. He's utterly free. He's utterly holy. This is the one of whom the angels sang and continue to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the God of whom Moses said, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. This is the God who so filled the temple with his Shekinah glory with the brightness of his holiness, that the the priests couldn't enter in to do their work any longer because the the whole temple was filled with his holiness and his glory. This is your God. This is whom you come to meet. You come to meet this, this God of holiness, this God of glory. And because your God is a holy God, he demands reverence. He demands your fear. That's what the preacher says at the close of the section. For when dreams increase, verse 7, and words grow many, there is vanity. There's vapor, smoke. But God is the one you must fear. I mean, there is a reason why we must come into God's presence with holy reverence. It's because we're dealing with the God of heaven. We're dealing with an intensely holy Being one who is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably holy. This God will not be mocked. This God will not be toyed with or or manipulated. It's why the, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. How? With reverence and awe. Why? For God is a consuming fire. Friends, worship's not about you. It's about this holy God and to whom's, who, whose presence we come, who demands our reverence. For those of you who are, are, are far away from God, this is ultimately the God with whom you have to deal. A God of holiness. A God who demands reverence. A God who will ultimately be your judge. When you see yourself in the light of this God, What should be the response is not, hey, old man in the sky. What what should be your response in the face of such a holy God is, oh, what a wretched man I am. It should be the words of the tax collector in Luke 18. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why does he say that? Because God is holy. God is one who comes as a consuming fire. But also for those of us who are near, who've come near in Jesus Christ, as those who've trusted in him who are following Jesus, we have to learn over and again who our God is. Yes, he's a God of steadfast love. Yes, he's a God of coveted compassion. But never forget your God is a holy God. He's a God whom we reverence because he's a God who takes our words seriously and might bring us under judgment for every thought, word, and deed as we've already confessed this morning. Well, how is it then? Can we even come to God's house if this is who God is? Whether you're far away from God or whether you're near to him, how in the world would we dare to come into the presence of God? We we can only come. We can only come in the presence of God. We can only come to God's house by God's grace. That's the only reason. Now, Jesus himself in John chapter 4 tells us this. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that in order to worship, you have to have the right emotional state. He's not talking about your spirit. We have spirit. Yes, we do. He's not talking about that. Jesus isn't talking here about having your doctrinal eyes dotted and your doctrinal T's crossed. That's not what he's talking about. Rather, he's saying the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him, but we can only come to worship him through the one who is the Spirit and the one who is the truth. Namely, we come to worship this God through Jesus. Jesus who gives the Spirit. Jesus who is truth personified. Jesus is the one who mediates the Father's presence to us. He's the one through whom we come into the presence of the Father. Jesus is the one who satisfied the holy demands of the Father. Jesus is the one who died on the cross and whose blood covers all our sin. Friend, today our only hope is Jesus. That's the only way we can be here. It's the only way we can come to this table. The only way we can pray. The only way we can sing praises. The only way. Is Jesus. And so whether you're far away from him or whether you're near to him, go to Jesus. Call out to him. If things have gotten sideways for you, tell him. Don't use a bunch of religious words. Just tell him. The real you before the real God through the real Jesus. And say, Lord, I've made a mess of this. Save me. I've made a mess of this. Rescue me. Please deliver me. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's all you need to say. And when, if you were to pray that, whether you're far away or near, here's what will happen. Jesus will hear. And Jesus will act. He will have mercy upon you, but he'll have more. He'll give you the one thing you're looking for in this life joy. Joy. If you call out to Jesus today and you are the real you, not the the you you think God wants, but just the real you that he already knows anyway. He's known you all your days. In fact, before your days, he knew you in your mother's womb. If you just were the real you and and tell Jesus exactly what's going on and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, deliver me. Whether for the first time or the thousandth time, you will leave here, I guarantee, with joy. Your heart will be filled with thankfulness. It's what God's words tells us. It's true. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I, I, I pray for myself. I pray for my friends. Lord, we, you want the real us. Not the tricked up, manipulated, religious jargon version of us. Not the us we think you want. Lord, you want the real us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace to listen. And to hear what's true. And today we're going to run to you. To just run to you and to offer you the real us. Lord, we're mindful that playing religious games is dangerous, and there's no place more dangerous than this table to which we are coming. And so, Lord, we pray, protect us from us, and do a work that only you can do. Grant us this, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, let's take our worship booklets to sing.